Easter weekend. And on Easter weekend, uh, we're having two services on Sunday. So it'll look a little differently. Obviously, we normally have 10 a.m. But on Easter Sunday, uh, because of the growth that we've seen, we don't we don't want you to go. Ah, I don't know if I want to invite a, a lot of people because it's, you know, it's limited on seats some Sundays. So we want to go to two services and say, invite as many people as you want. Right. And if everybody tends to show up, then we will have space for them. And we want not only in this room, but also in the kids area. So nine o'clock and 1045 is our Easter Sunday services. And then we have a special Good Friday service at 630 on Friday. We'll celebrate Good Friday together on that night as well. So if you want to take note of that, we also have tons of invites in the back. We'd love for you to take that. And uh, as we prepare for Easter weekend. So I just want to pray for us, ask God to speak to our hearts here this morning. And then we're going to jump right in. Is that okay? Very good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth. God, thank you for each and every person that is here this morning, each and every person that can hear me online. God, I pray that you are that you will continue to divinely work inside of our lives, inside of our hearts, God. Your word says that the Bible is sharper than a double-edged sword and it pierces through bone and marrow and it just it it looks into our lives, God, and it shows us how we can become more like you. God, and I pray as we hear this incredible story of your uh, triumphant entry into Jerusalem, that it would just give us a picture of who you are and help us to take that with us, knowing who you are, God. I pray that I will decrease so that you may increase. And I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. So as we set up the Palm story, the Palm Sunday story, uh, I, I began to think about what this means and what this day means and what happened thousands of years ago. And I began to think about, um, I don't know about your family, but what does a game night for your family look like? Uh, is it pretty competitive or not competitive, right? Like, uh, I don't know about you, but I come from a family that is highly competitive, okay? Highly competitive. So it doesn't matter if we're playing uh, Monopoly, Dominoes, like it is on. Whether you are grandma or a two-year-old, it doesn't matter who you are, right? Like it's game on, everybody is trying to win. Maybe your house is more of a cards house right where you're playing cards or spades or whatever it may be and or maybe it's monopoly i'm not a big fan of monopoly because i got adhd and you got to sit there for like four hours right just getting that game going whatever it may be but whatever those games are uh it's highly competitive but there's a moment usually in the game right where you can tell that somebody is going to win right there's a moment where everything shifts where everything changes uh, maybe if you're playing dominoes as a kid and you were setting up all of these little dominoes all along the track, right? You would set them all up and hopefully if you or one of your friends didn't run by and knock it over and ruin the whole thing, like you start the first one and it starts this whole chain of events, right? It starts everything. It just begins to topple over and over. Well, you, that, that's kind of fun to think about in the game world, right? In the competitiveness of those games. But if you think about your life and my life, I think there's moments that where we can look at our lives and go, you know what? That was the moment where everything changed. That was a moment when this happened, good or bad. My, my life was never the same after that. It just started this chain of events of things that begin to happen over and over again. And sometimes they're negative things and God has to move and work those. But also there, there could be positive things, right? That oh, this was for the good and my life changed forever. I remember uh, all of these different scenarios and situations in my life. I remember meeting my wife in high school. 
And from then on, right, like my life was never the same. It's like I, I had her as we were walking together. And I remember giving my life to Christ late in my uh, almost uh, late teenage years. And from that moment on, my life was never the same. God just, he began to change me and do incredible work in me. But there's these moments in our lives. Sometimes maybe we don't even realize them in the moment. But when we look back maybe 10 years from now and go, wow. It was that moment that everything changed, right? It was that moment that it began to happen. And uh, not only that, but I, I believe the Easter story is that for humanity. Like it was the moment where everything begins to change. And not only that, if we back it up, Palm Sunday is really kind of the big piece domino that began to set the chain of events all the way up into Passion Week and gets us all the way to Good Friday and Easter. Palm Sunday is this moment where Jesus kind of comes and he metaphorically draws this line in the sand and he allows and declares who he is. And that's, that's what makes Palm Sunday such a big deal and why we revisit and tell the story year after year. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 21. And Matthew chapter 21 gives us this picture. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. Everybody okay with that? Very good. So Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. And, and for this, so we get the picture here. Jesus is getting ready to enter into Jerusalem. And he's traveling kind of east to west. And as he gets to Jerusalem, uh, we see that the people, there are some people in Jerusalem that recognize who he is. And as Jacob described earlier, they take these palm leaves. This is why we see Palm Sunday and they lay them on the ground. And uh, this is the one of the stories that's recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. The significance of this story that all four said, I'm going to include this story in the Gospel. So Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to start in verse 1 and it reads like this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say at once. This uh, you shall say at once, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble. And mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and they sat on them. Most of the crowd spread the cloaks and on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city, get this, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowds said, this is the prophet Jesus, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Then it kind of shifts here. We see the story in verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written. I want you to underline, highlight, circle with this right here. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, 
Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise and leaving them. He went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. What a story, right? We see this begin to take place where Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he begins to tell the disciples, right? He says, I want you to go and I want you to find this particular person. And uh, this area would have known about Jesus because this is coming off the hills of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. In fact, this that's really the story that sets up Palm Sunday because everybody heard about Lazarus. And so people were coming not only to see Jesus, but they wanted to see Lazarus. I mean, could you imagine living within 30 miles and hearing that Jesus raised this guy from the dead, right? Like, I, I would want to see him too. Like, Lazarus, can you tell me about it? What's going on? And so when they, they all come to see Jesus and Jesus tells them, and he knows because Jesus has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, right? And so he comes and he says, I want you to go find a donkey and their colt. And as the donkey and the colt, I want you to untie them. This is kind of a fascinating story in itself. Could you imagine being the disciples and Jesus coming up to them? Because there's no mention of him actually preparing them for this. And he's like, hey, I want you to go to a person on the next city. And I want you to grab a donkey, right? Like imagine the, the story for you and I. I mean, somebody tells us, I walk up to you and go, hey, Owen, I want you to go to the next city over. And I want you to find this F-150, okay? Um, and ask them for the keys. And if they ask, tell them the Lord needs it, right? Could you imagine that conversation? They're like, uh, no, no, absolutely not, right? But this here, we see that Jesus's fame has begun to spread, and he sends them out, and he goes and gets the donkey, this colt. And we see in Zechariah 9.9, we see that this is a prophecy that Jesus is filling, because now they're quoting this. And the disciples as we read in uh, the book of John, we see that the disciples didn't really even understand the magnitude of what was happening here on Palm Sunday. It says that when they were looked back and saw, oh, this was it. This was the moment. Here's all the prophecies that he was pulling in. And they remembered this day that began this chain of events of what Jesus is doing. And so the first thing that I want you and I to see, I have three things about Jesus who is claiming to be king, who is king, the Messiah. Three things about Jesus. And then we're going to kind of close with three takeaways. Is that okay? Very good. So the first one that I, that I believe that we should pull from this story is, is that the king confronts the king confronts. And I spent a little time I even asked my wife about this word confronts, because I think when you and I look at the word confronts and look at the words confrontational, um, we immediately go very negative. Right. Because we think about confrontational people and sometimes confrontational people is I'm going to find anybody and everybody and I'm going to confront them about everything. Right. But Jesus, I love this word because if you look at this definition, it really describes somebody that's not avoiding, not sidestepping, right? Like I love that term because here this is the moment where the king of kings comes and he's and all of the people. This is the first time we read in scripture where the public comes and declares him as the Messiah. Right. Last week we talked about John chapter four. That was the first time that he said to someone, I am the Messiah. Now the public is coming and they're praising him as the promised one, as God himself who has come to this earth and he is walking forward as king, right? They use two terms there. They say son of David and Hosanna, right? Son of David and Hosanna. And the son of David is presenting him because the Old Testament prophecies say that Jesus or the Messiah is going to come from the family line of David. 
And so when they say son of David, they're saying you're the one that we've been waiting on. That our parents, it just passed down from generation to generation. And we've been hearing about this Messiah coming and you're finally here. The Messiah, the one true king. But this is where it gets confrontational, right? This is where because the Pharisees and religious leaders They get so upset. They're like, you need to rebuke your disciples. Do you understand what all of these people are saying? They're saying you're God. And Jesus does not step back and go, you know what? You're right. Let's just kind of calm this thing down. Let's turn this worship service down. You know, he doesn't do that. No, actually, he steps forward and goes, this is who I am. I am he. I am the Messiah. He confronts the religious leaders. He confronts those who are in front of him. He draws a line in the sand and says, I am God. I can't deny who I am. This is who I am. The promised one. And this is where the Pharisees are going. We can't have this. This for them. They believed it was blasphemy that he could not believe that he is God, that he is the Messiah. And they could not believe. But to, to kind of take it from a, a broad sense and really make it personal for you and I. There's a moment where Jesus confronts each and every individual. Jesus steps forward and he says, who do you say that I am? Right. And he confronts because if this story is true, if the Palm Sunday is correct, Jesus is not leaving room for any middle ground. Right. He's either a liar and a lunatic. Right. Or. He's the son of God. There's no in between because Jesus here in this moment, we see that people and himself, he is declaring that he is God. And so we can't say, oh, well, he's just a good teacher or uh, he's just a prophet. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, I am he. I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one. I am the son of God who is here, right? And he has laid this out and almost this confrontational notion of going, this is who I am. And, and I love this because when he goes, the first act after this, he goes and clears the temple. Can you imagine Jesus walking in? Because the only person who can come into your house and rearrange furniture is who? The owner, right? If I walked into your house and started rearranging furniture, you would probably throw me out, call the police or something, right? But the owner of the house can walk in and start rearranging things because they own it. It is theirs. And Jesus walks into the temple and he starts flipping tables. He is furious. And what does he say? He says, my house Jesus is declaring to be God. This is the temple. All the everything that you have been built, everything that you have read in the Old Testament. It is all about me. This is my house and my house will be a house of prayer. It will not be a den of robbers. And I heard this quote by Timothy Keller and it's and it's so powerful because these people, they were they were uh, living and they were using God. They were using God's name for their own profit right instead of allowing God to use them and I thought wow how many times do we see that people will take advantage of the name of God right and God is going no I want the other way around I want to use you we can't take advantage of what that looks like and and I'm here to say God won't allow that to happen for too long right because God will expose that and he'll cleanse that just like he was doing in the temple because what was happening was as people were coming to the temple to offer their sacrifices right to atone for their sin but what they the money changers were lining up and they were going okay this pigeon costs uh two pennies or whatever it costs 
right? But I'm going to charge 10 and I'm going to make a little bit more off the cut. And I'm going to get rich off this religious act that God is asking you to do, right? And so they were using God's name to take advantage of it to get rich. And he was going, wait a second. This is no, my house is a house of prayer, not a den of robbing for the people using my name to, to get moved forward or whatever that looks like, right? He's saying that I want you to be used by me, right? I want you to follow me, surrender to me and what this looks like. And there's a there's a story in Acts chapter 19 that we see this begin or at least try to happen because the disciples go out after this and they have the power of the Holy Spirit and they're uh, casting out demons. They're healing six people, uh, sick people, not six people, anyway, uh, sick people. And we get these sons of Sceva. They come and they go, wow, that that's some real power. That's pretty incredible, right? And so they go and they try to do things in the name of Jesus. And they come up to these guys that are demon possessed and they they go in the name of Jesus. We want them to be cast out and demons look at them and go, God, we know who he is. We know who the Apostle Paul is. But who are you? Like, who are you to, to come and try to declare this, right? Because they thought this thing was almost like magic, right? Like they could just conjure up whatever it looked like. But God is going, no, no, no. It's for my people who are surrendered to my name, right? Surrendered to my name, who submit to my kingship and to my authority. And those who are submitted to me come underneath the covering of the king, right? Come underneath the covering of God's plan. And when the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was dwelling inside those believers, and that's what gave them power, right? Because when they said in the name of Jesus, they were speaking on behalf of their king. They were ambassadors of their king. And other people just couldn't pull in because they wanted to use God's name for their own gain, right? God goes, no, no, they are my servants. They're doing my will. They're doing my work in this. And the king comes and he, and he confronts this. And, he see, and we see this picture begin to play out. And Jesus draws the line. And that's what starts the chain of events all the way up to Easter. Because now Jesus is going, I am God, right? And so the religious leaders are going, we can't do it now. We have to believe him. Or reject him, right? There's no middle ground. They say we have to declare him as the Messiah or now we have to kill him. Because that's what the Old Testament law says. If he's not truly God, then he's, he's uh, creating blasphemy and we have to send him to the cross. But yet they didn't want to do it. So they teamed up with the Roman soldiers, with the Roman uh, guards that are there. And they tried to allow them to do that. And so they begin to work with the local political system to allow that to happen. But it sets the whole chain of events in place. And then we see uh, the second thing I, I think that you and I need to hold and grasp onto is that the king comes gently. The king comes gently. We see this big picture, right? The king comes and he confronts. And then almost in this paradoxical nature, right? We see the exact opposite where he comes gently. Back in those days, uh, riding in on a donkey, it provided no threat. It provided no social status, right? We're talking about a donkey right like a donkey back in those days if you were a great warrior the roman soldiers they would not have ridden in on a donkey and try to get the crowd's attention no they would have ridden in on a what's called a war horse and if you were the king you only rode the tallest war horse there was and if you were a general you did not get a horse that was taller than the king's you get the next step down and then if you were a regular soldier you did not get a war horse that was as tall as your general you would get another lower horse and so jesus could have went and found he could have blinked and the largest horse ever known to man could have rolled up right 
and he would have climbed on that war horse and he would have declared who he was and he would have rode in and said, let's go. But what does he do? He says, can you go find me a donkey? Can you go find me a colt? Just picture this. Jesus' feet were probably close to touching the ground, right? Like, just, like we ride in like, oh, like, we're, why, why Jesus, who we, just, we know just claimed to be God, he's showing us who he is through all of these miracles, right? And he's leading us to the, the big finisher where he sees, where well, I'm going to die on the cross for all of humanity, past, present, and future. And not only that, I'm going to come back to life three days later. We're going to celebrate that here in a few days. But he says, I'm going to come in on a donkey. And why would Jesus do that? Not only to fulfill the Old Testament, but God who knows all things. He says, I'm coming gently. Donkeys represent the moment of this this uh, season of peace. And he's saying, I'm coming to usher in this peace. And a lot of people during that time, when they read Psalms and read the prophecies, they thought that Jesus, when he came, the Messiah, he was coming to politically take over. He was coming to take over and go, you know what, we're, we're going to see him overthrow this Roman oppression that we have right here in this moment. And they were thinking about their lifetime. They were thinking about their moment of the Messiah was going to come help them right then. But Jesus is going, I'm coming for something bigger. I'm coming for eternity. I'm coming from past, present, and the full future of everything that is to come. This is so much bigger than even the Roman Empire. This is so much bigger than any political system. This is so much bigger than any nation. And Jesus says, I'm going to come riding in on a donkey. And I love that word gentle. And as we think about that word gentle, really what I want us to connect to is that Jesus comes in and he's humble, right? He's humble and he's gentle. And and an amazing definition of humble and humility is not that we think of ourselves any less, but we think of ourselves less. And Jesus leads the way in that because he, he draws the line in who he is, right? He doesn't lower himself from being God, but he makes himself accessible to you and I, right? He humbled himself and left a place called heaven. He could have jumped on a war horse and created all of this separation, right? But no, what does he do? All throughout the gospel, he goes right to the people. He finds the the most uh, outcast people he can find, the notorious sinners that he can find, and he connects with them, right? He becomes accessible to them, almost to the point where people are going, wait a second, are you truly the one? I didn't realize that God would come and connect with each and every soul that the way that I'm seeing here today. This is incredible. This is accessible. This is gentle and lowly that way that we begin to see this, that he humbles himself to the point of a servant. And we see that in all throughout Scripture. It says that the son of man did not come to serve, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's a beautiful picture for you and I. Because we don't have a a savior. We don't have a Messiah who creates all of this separation. He says, I am still the king of kings. I am still the Lord of lords. And I am the, the ruler of all of the universe of all time. But yet I come and I humble myself and I get down on your level and I say, hey, tell me about your day. Tell me what's going. Tell me your deepest, darkest fear." I want to hear about your, 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 your hardest, most miserable regret. I want to hear about what gives you so much anxiety that you can't sleep at night. I want to hear about the weight that it feels like it's going to crush you. 
He's like, bring that to me. I want to hear that. And what he's showing us here on Palm Sunday is that he has called us for relationship. And he has made a way for that. He's humbled himself to walk in that. And every time we may question what that looks like, we go back. And this is another thing that I love about this story is, is that Jesus brings his disciples in, right? Remember I said he could have blinked. I don't know why I blinked as the illustration, but he could have blinked and made the donkey appear, right? It could have just kind of ridden up as we see um, and sometimes in the Old Testament. It could have just appeared almost out of nowhere. But he brings his disciples in. Because God uses his people. He wants to use his people to accomplish his plan and his purposes, right? And we see multiple people in this situation. Sometimes God calls you and I to go, right? He calls us to live a sent life. But then he calls some of us to, there's going to be a moment where God says, I just need you to release something that you have so that I can use it for my glory, right? They go to the person and they go, you may not fully understand, but uh, the Lord needs this, right? And they go, okay, take my donkey, take my colt, like take just go ahead the Lord needs it right and in that moment that that person probably didn't realize that 2,000 years later Christians are going to be looking at this story of the donkey that they released to God to show them a picture that he was going to humble himself and be the king of kings who makes himself accessible to all of humanity you and I don't know the magnitude of one single act of obedience right as we place that into the hands of God But I believe just this story, we see that God wants to use every single person. And you and I, we're just called to go, God, I'm trusting you. I'm stepping in obedience to this and what this looks like as well. Let me just turn this page. I see that page. Anyway, usually I just swipe. But anyway, as we head here to uh, the last point that we see, and this one here is almost a twofold response that you and I see is that the king has come. The king has come. Jesus declares it as we talked about in the first part. He comes gentle. He comes lowly. But also the king has come. You and I need to live with the reality that the king has come. This is the moment where everything changed for all of humanity. This is the moment where everything can change for every individual who believes and calls on the name of Jesus. This is the moment where you and I can place our lives and our trust in the king of kings who has proven himself to be that. And when we do that, we are allowed into this relationship with this king, right? We become co heirs in Christ this eternal perspective begins to change for you and I and we get to live in those moments but just like the king confronts we're going to live in a world where not everybody believes that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. We're going to live in a world where we're going to face opposition. We're going to face some people and go, I can't believe you believe in an ancient text. I can't believe that you would believe that, that God himself would come down and be a real person. But you and I, if I, I would love for you to uh, maybe take this note down. It says there will always be critics, skeptics, and hypocrites in the crowd. Never let that deter your faith. Right. There's always going to be the hypocrites. There's always going to be uh, those critics and skeptics who say, "Ah, I can't believe that you believe that. But you and I go back to the Easter story. We go back to Palm Sunday of going, no, this is who Jesus said he was. This is he is the king of kings. I am drawing the line and I have said I am choosing Jesus. I believe that he is the king of kings. And when I do that, I enter into his family. And now, even though everybody else may 
not believe that, I know that one day I'm going to continue to live with him. And here's the, the beautiful picture about this point. The king has come is that the king is coming back as well, right? We see that in Scripture. We see in Revelation that one day Jesus will come again, and that day he will be on his war horse. That day it says that he will have the sword next to him, because in that day he's coming to judge the world, right? And that's when he separates what the Bible describes as the sheep and the goats. The king comes as the, the one who comes and says, okay, who has believed in me? Who has trusted me with their life, right? And it's not by our own merit. It's by the grace of God that you and I have the opportunity, right? As we think about Good Friday, I love the story of the guy who's on the cross next to Jesus, right? And there's kind of this famous story, this uh, preacher who tells the story about the, the person on the cross. And they kind of ask this question, where does the guy on the cross fit into your theology, right? Because he wasn't baptized. He didn't go to any kind of service, right, that we know of. We see all of this moment, but he looks to Jesus and goes, I believe that you are who you say you are. Will you remember me when you go to paradise? And Jesus looks at him and says, yes, I will remember you. You will join me in paradise. And when he gets to heaven, he can't show up, right? He's being crucified for being a criminal, right? And the next moment he wakes up and he is in heaven. And people are asking, how did you get here? I don't know. The guy next to me dying on the cross said I could come. His name is Jesus, right? And we see this picture of what Jesus has done for us because what happens is, is that when we put our life on the merits of our own work, what happens, right? We either get entitled, right? Like, I deserve this. Look at all the good things that I've done. And we can even turn that to God and go, God, look at, I went to church every single week. How could this happen to me? How could this happen to my family? I've read my Bible every day this week, and I still had a terrible day, God, right? Like, we can get this moment of, I deserve this, right? But then the other thing can happen if it's on our own merits, right? Because then we fall short. And I promise you, every single person is going to fall short. And then what happens? We feel like a failure. We feel rejected. We feel down and out of, ah, I can't do it. I'm never going to be able to do it. I'm never going to be able to measure up. This is not good enough, and I can't take it, right? And we kind of cycle through this battle of, I deserve this. I need to have it. Look how hard I've worked. And then we oscillate to the other side. I'm a failure. I'm rejected in life up and down and up and down and Jesus is saying I have come to show you grace so that in the ups and the downs you know it's not on your merit not on your hard work but it's on my power and my grace and whether you have a great day and everything is going all right guess what Jesus is still king I am still saved right on the lowest day I know that Jesus is still the king of kings and he will lift me up, right? In these moments, we see that it's not on our merit, but on the grace of God. And that's what Palm Sunday reminds us of, that, that we serve the king of kings. And so as I kind of finish up here, three things that I think you and I can take away from Palm Sunday, and they mirror the three things of who Jesus is. And the first one is, is that but all of us, we have to be confronted, Right? We're being confronted with who Jesus is. And he's showing us there's no middle ground. And so if we're sitting there going, I'm not really sure. Maybe he's a good teacher. I've been to church for a little while. Then we're choosing the side that he's not the king of kings, right? 
because we have created the middle ground. Jesus is saying, I haven't created the middle ground. He declares that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says, there is a clear line, right? I think the old saying is the devil owns the fence, right? And it's whatever it is. And Jesus is saying, no, you either, you either choose me. And he confronts us and he says, no, I want you to choose me. Believe who I am, that I am the king of kings. And then the other one is, we see that he comes gently and lowly. That you and I must accept his grace. We must walk in his grace every single day that we experience and understand that he is the king of kings. I'm confronted with that. I believe him in that and I need to accept his grace. And this is not just for the moment of salvation, right? Because you know there's days when our head hits the pillow at night and you're going, oh, I'm a complete failure, Right? I just messed that up, right? I don't know if you've been parenting more than a day, but you got those moments, right? Like, I don't know if you've been married more than a day or you had friendships more than an hour. You show up to work more than a week. You're like, wow, I messed that one up, right? And we have this, those moments of God's going, my grace is sufficient. And grace is not just for the moment of salvation, but grace is for every day. Grace is receiving what God has given us. And now we can walk into the world and people go, Whoa, how can you still be have that joy and that peace and that love when you are going through that? And you and I can turn and look to Jesus and go, it's not because of me, anything that I have done, but it's because of Jesus. And he lives in me and he is the king of kings. And I'm doing this by his grace, right? He supplies me with all the things that I need because of his grace. And it's not because of me, but it's because of him. And the last one is, is because he is the king of kings and because we have accepted his grace, not only for the moment of salvation, but for day to day, you and I are called to live and step into his promises. Right. Because he is not only has come, we believe that, but also he is coming back. And there are promises of God all throughout Scripture that that never change, never tarry, never back away. There, that is the foundation that we build our life on. And that is as what Matthew 7 describes. That way when the storms come and the, the storms rage and it begins to break down all of those things that we're thinking, the way that our life is set up, but we go back and go, you know what? I've set my entire life on the promises of God. And here's the thing about the promises of God is the Bible has every situation that you and I will face. Every reality, every slander of life the Bible gives us promises to work towards. He gives us promises in financials, right? He gives us promises on the way that we should think. He gives us promises on wisdom. He gives us promises on relationship advice. He gives us promises on marriage. He gives us promises on all of these pieces, right? And the promises aren't everything. You do this and everything's going to be smooth. No, he's saying if you follow my promises, you're going to experience the freedom in Christ. You're going to experience the hope in Christ, the joy in Christ, the peace in Christ. He's saying that's when we walk by by the Spirit, we're walking in the promises of God because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom, right? That you and I are called to live in freedom of Christ. And I believe that God has made a way for each and every one of us. And as I close today, um, that's setting us up for Easter weekend. 
I begin to pray about, well, God, what, is the, what do you want us to really lean on for Easter, right? And we don't have to be entirely creative because God's already given us all of that, right? But we see, I believe today there's a lot of us, including myself from time to time, that we don't live in the freedom of Christ. I believe when we head outside of these doors, people look at the lives of Christians. When we look in the mirror at ourselves, that when we look at ourselves, we go, wow, they are living free in Christ. It's like they live on another level. It's like they live from another world. It's like they think on a different level than I think. And it's like they have this freedom. Where do they get it? Right. Where does this come from? And I believe that comes from Christ, right? That as the world begins to shake and the, the systems around us begin to crumble even, you and I stand forward and go, my, my life was never built on that anyway. My life was built on Jesus and the freedom that he gives us. So we're going to be talking about the Easter, but I just want to pray for us as a church. And as we head out on this uh, Palm Sunday, I, I pray that uh, maybe we have a moment with God, moment with God of going, you know what, God, you're confronting me right now. And I've kind of been on the fence and I really haven't really declared who you are. I've been trying to feel this thing out. And I see today that you want me to choose you, right? I, I see that you are the son of God. And, and then God is calling you to accept his grace right here, right now. And you can begin to live in his promises today and experience him today. And so that's on one account to have a relationship with Christ. But maybe even us as Christians, because maybe we've surrendered our life to Christ. But maybe there's an area of our life that we've picked back up, right? We're going, God, I've trusted you with this once, I remember, but I've kind of picked it back up again, and I'm carrying the weight of it again, God. And so I'm surrendering this back to you. I believe that you're the king of kings, and I, I need your grace. Maybe somebody in the room as well, you're just experiencing, it's just life is heavy right now. Life is tough, and you need God's grace just to help you get through. You need his strength. You need the Holy Spirit just to kind of uh, breathe a, a breath of fresh air into your life, into your soul here in these moments. And I just want to pray over you. We believe that God can do that and that God will do that. And so let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Palm Sunday as you uh, embarked into Jerusalem. God, and you knew that you were walking into Jerusalem and you knew that you were going to draw a hard line in the sand. God, you knew that people were going to declare you as God. God, and you knew that you were headed to the cross. God, thank you for taking those steps forward. Even though in your humanity, you would walk through all of that suffering to set us free, God. God, I pray that if there's anybody in the room who have never given their lives to you, that they would pray this prayer with me. God, I give you my life. I know that I've been living in sin, disconnected from you. God, and ask that you would save me, that you would change me forever. I believe that you are God. I believe that you died for me, and I believe that you rose again. God, I pray for the church right now in Jesus' name. I pray that we would walk out of this place knowing that you are the King of kings, that the King is here and the King is coming back, God. I pray that we live every single day by your grace, not by our power, our strength, but by your grace. 
And God, I pray that we surrender to your truth, surrender to your promises. And I pray that your grace would fill us, God. I pray if there's anybody in this room right now, in the name of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would breathe fresh life into them, hope and grace and truth and joy just would overflow them right now. God, we know that joy and suffering, they can exist together, but I pray that your joy just overcomes what they are going through, God. I pray that we would fix our eyes on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, God. Give us strength and grace for every day. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.